Good morning, everyone, and welcome to uh, Bible for Breakfast podcast. We are in Matthew chapter one as we take another bite of the Christmas story. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bible for Breakfast podcast. My name is Nick, and here we take bite-sized bites. We have, we have we go into the Bible every day. We get a chapter a day, just taking a moment to actually ingest, to eat, to take part of God's word so we can have our lives change and be able to focus on the Lord. And uh, today we are going into Matthew chapter one. The last episode, we were in Luke chapter one. We're going to the Christmas story because it is December 16th. Matthew chapter one. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham became the father of Isaac. Isaac became the father of Jacob. Jacob became the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah became the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez became the father of Hezron. Hezron became the father of Ram. Ram became the father of Aminadab. Aminadab became the father of Nashlon. Became, uh, Nashon became the father of Salmon. Salmon became the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz became the father of Obed by Ruth. Obed became the father of Jesse. Jesse became the father of the king of David. David the king became the father of Solomon by her who had been Uriah's wife. Solomon became the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam became the father of Abijah. Abijah became the father of Asa. Asa became the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat became the father of of, excuse me, Jehoshaphat became the father of Joram, Joram became the father of Uzziah, Uzziah became the father of Jotham, Jotham became the father of Ahaz, Ahaz became the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah became the father of Manasseh, Manasseh became the father of Amon, Amon became the father of Josiah, Josiah became the father of Jekoina and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jekoina became the father of Sheatiel. Sheatiel became the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel became the father of Abiud. Abiud became the father of Eliakim. Eliakim became the father of Azor. Azor became the father of Zadok. Zadok became the father of Achim. Achim became the father of Eliud. Eliud became the father of Eleazar. Eleazar became the father of Mathen. Mathen became the father of Jacob. Jacob became the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, from whom was born Jesus, who was called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David to exile to Babylon, 14 generations. From the carrying away to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was like this. After his mother was after his mother Mary was engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not willing to make her a public example, intended to put her away secretly. But when he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take to yourself Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She shall give birth to a son. You shall name him Jesus, for it is he who shall save his people from their sins. Now all this happened that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, 
The virgin shall be with child and shall give birth to a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took his wife to himself and didn't know her sexually until she had given birth to her firstborn son. He named him Jesus. So, one of the things I know I don't like doing is I don't like reading genealogies, but we read, we read through it, we got through it. Let's start asking some questions here. Um, so, while we talked about Luke, Luke being written mainly for um, the, like the Greeks or the Jews in Greece, you know, they weren't really connected to Jerusalem. They were trying to keep hold of their faith. Matthew is reading more towards the Jews that are in Jerusalem, the Jews that, like, were, what you would, for all purposes, say, were Jewish. They were, like, the real, like, what you would think of Jews at that time. Um, so, he wrote this. Why did Matthew write this? He wrote this to prove to them, those people, that Jesus is the Anointed One. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the um, Messiah that came from God to save the people from their sins. So he starts out by going through the genealogy of Christ. And that's a lot of times how you would prove who you were. Like think about like, so Jesus was supposed to be from the prophet from, from the line of David, not the prophet David, because David was a prophet. He was a king. Jesus came from the line of David. What does that mean coming from the line of David? That means that by if things had turned out differently in this day and age, Jesus would rightfully be the king of Israel. Um, and that becomes huge. But in this, they're so wrought with controversy because they wanted your... If you if you watched Harry Potter at all or, or read the books, um, I find it very fascinating. But the one thing they had in there, which mimics the um, Nazi Germany in the time... It's about pure blood. It's about having your blood pure of magic, pure of what's going on. And so you would think that if you're having someone that come to be a king, that you want someone that was purely Jewish, someone that did not have controversy, someone that was throughout almost all their life, throughout all their history, was the Jewish person. Um, they were the epitome of being a Jew. And that's not the case here. So, um, first thing that I, I read through here, and I see that there are three different times that, um, three, possibly four times, depending on how you want to look at it, where the Matthew calls out the women in the genealogy. The first one is really early on, and that is Tamar. Now, why is Tamar important? Um... Tamar is important because she was actually Judah's. Um, Judah's one of the twelve original twelve sons. He's a tribe of Israel. Um, Judah. He, Tamar was his daughter-in-law, and she married two or three of Judah's sons, and they died before they could have kids. Judah had one son left who was not old enough to be married, and so by custom. So it's going to have to 
get willing to marry, marry Tamar, have a son by her for the uh, first, so that the first child, the first son that died, could keep his lineage going. And Judah, who basically sees Tamar as a bad omen, basically is trying to find a way to put her away quietly to 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 not give Tamar his um, his son because he doesn't want his son to die, and basically to you know let her go. Tamar had nothing, nowhere else to go. She had obviously a man, uh, she left her family. She became part of Judah's family, and. She needs to be a way to survive, needs to be a way to stay together. And so she ends up tricking Judah to sleep with her. And then with all that said and done, she has twins. And with twins, what happens is that you have the um, the two sons, Perez and Zerah. Um, one sticks out their hand. And I believe it's Zerah. As as they're coming out, one sticks out their hand, and the nurse mom tied a ribbon around that hand. But then I think it was Perez pulled Zara back, and he came out. Perez came, actually came out first. And the whole idea of that is the second born replacing the first born, and that's uh, that's that is essentially what Jesus did for us. Is that with Adam being the first born, it says that Jesus was the second born. Um, and what Jesus did is, no, Jesus was the second Adam, is what they called it. And Jesus basically pulled Adam back and took the position of the firstborn child. He took the, the, the pain, he took the punishment, because he could bear it for us. They say it was propitiation of our sins. He was the substitute, or the stand-in for us, uh, for our sins. And that is just amazing to think about that, that even God thought that far ahead. And so, like Tamar, who would have been a stain on the family, that would not have been someone you wouldn't want to put in your genealogy. Then you have, um, then you have uh, Salmon, or Salmon, however you want to do it, I said Salmon, because it's breakfast time and I'm hungry, um, became the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Rahab was the prostitute in Jericho. Um, she is the one that hid the 12 spies. She's not even a Jew at this point. She's not even a Jew. And so um, someone who is not a Jew is a part of Jesus' lineage. And a prostitute, no less, who was a, that was her profession in Jericho. Um, and not only that, but then you have Boaz became the father of Obed by Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. And and if you recall, that's very important. And the reason why it's important is because um, back in Deuteronomy and in Exodus, I believe it was, Exodus Numbers, um, you have the king of Moab, who basically sends beautiful women to the Israelites to seduce them, to seduce the men, to get the Israelites to fall away from following God so that God would punish them and preserve the, the land of Moab and keep it to the Moabites. And that day, Moses, in his anger, said that 
basically, God would never, ever, ever love a Moabite. If anyone has Moabite line in their blood, they're going to be cursed. They're going to be, it's going to be terrible life. God will never accept them. And Ruth, who is a Moabite woman who left her country, her kinsman, who decided that she was going to stay and, and stay with Naomi, who was a Jew, because her husband, who was Naomi's son, passed away. that Jesus, the Messiah, is part Moabite, part of the generation that Moses, even the law of Moses, would have said, would have been disqualified from ever being loved or being fully used by God. And that's just awesome, amazing. And then I have to ask myself, like, when I, when I, when I think about the story of Ruth, and we'll get through there at some point as we go through the Bible, um, like, how many times do we believe, do you believe, do I believe? How many times do I believe that what I have done has been so bad that, you know, there's no way that God could love me. There's no way that God could still work in my favor. There's no way that good can come out of the situation. And some of the situations that I've caused, I'll admit that. But through the story of Ruth and being Ruth being a part of the lineage of David, there is nothing that God won't do if you're willing to follow him and willing to be part of his plan. God accepts all who wish to come to him. That itself is amazing. That is so amazing. So, Jesus became, or then Obed became the father of Jesse. Jesse became the father of the king of David. And king David became the father of Solomon by her who had been Uriah's wife. Now, they're talking about Bathsheba. Bathsheba was a woman that was bathing on the, on the room, on the roof. When David saw her, slept with her, found out she was pregnant, and then he went and had Uriah killed in battle so he could marry her and cover all that up. Um, and then even through, there's a bunch of kings that, you know, some were terrible and some came back to, to be a part of what God was doing and some were terrible. And even through all of this, Matthew is really trying to tell the Jews, like, this is Jesus's lineage. He is us. He is our story. He is like one of us in his, um, in his lineage. And basically, you can think of it as he was adopted. Because Jacob became the father of Joseph. Joseph, the husband of Mary. So, like, Jesus wasn't even born from necessarily Joseph's blood. He was born from Mary's blood um, to be a part of this. And I think I've someone had said that even looking through Mary's line, her line also could have been one of the kings as well. And they I don't know if that's true or not. I haven't guessed that out. But the idea that even under adoption, you become part of that lineage. You become a part of who that is. And many times, like, I just, 
we believe that people who did bad who come to God sometimes are less. And I've, I have been subject to that. That I've served God my whole life. I've tried to walk in his ways. And that makes me somehow better than someone who just came to know God a week ago, a year ago. It doesn't make me any better. It makes me, hopefully, more knowledgeable in different areas about God. But it doesn't make me any better. And that they have been adopted into the, into the Father, into the line. They have been brought in. And the fact that they've brought, been brought in is someone that just... They are now my brothers. They are now my sisters. And I can now accept them as they are. And learn from them and help teach them and guide them as I would anybody else who is part of my family. How many times do we need to lay down? How many times do I need to lay down my arms? I need to embrace those around me despite the past that they've had. Instead of Judge them and hold them accountable to it. They have been adopted in. They are now family and now a part of my own story. So Jesus' lineage was not was wrought with controversy. He didn't come from a perfect home. He didn't come from a perfect situation. And yours doesn't have to be either. Mine doesn't have to be either. There is going to be trauma. I mean, if you are alive, if you are a person that was raised by a parent of some sort, whether it's a physical, like they were your parent or your grandparents or a friend, guess what? If you're living life, you've had some trauma. No one's perfect. But it's not about the trauma. That's about how can you get over the trauma? How can you move forward following God, following the adopted father that you have, that adopted you as to their child? And how can you move forward in that? How could you, how, how, if you could move forward, how would you do that today? If you could get rid of the trauma of the past, of the thought process that you have now, of the things you've done to insulate and secure yourself. How would you be done with that? How could you get past that and move forward to the next step? What, what would that look like for you? Take a moment and, and digest that for a second. So... Jumping down, I've always had a thought. I'm in, I'm in verse 18, and I always thought about what was Joseph thinking? What was he like? And like you said that, you know, Joseph was, Joseph was looking to put her away because he had every right to put her away. He had every right. And that was like divorcing because it was a, an agreement that they would have made. Um, 
you could have break off the engagement. But he had every right to to put her away and would have deemed it as marital unfaithfulness. And no one in the culture would have been mad at him. But he really didn't want that to happen. He he really wanted to find a good way so that both of them could come out of this alive. And he didn't want to be someone else's second. And so, like, think about this. What would Joseph have thought? What would have you have thought about this virgin birth? What would you have thought about that? I think I would have... I probably would not have been so secret about it. I think I would have tried to put my wife away almost publicly to get rid of the shame on me. Which is terrible to think about. And why did God choose a virgin birth? Why do you think God chose a virgin to give birth? Some may say so that it's out of the line of line of Adam that God that the iniquity that comes from being man comes from the fathership and so that God did that to wipe the iniquity away so that Jesus could be a clean slate and that could very well be true I mean, did God choose this so that way he wasn't going to be so that he could show up and truly be a part of the story and know what it's like and show us that he knows what it's like to be human. Well, that's just crazy to think about. And then an angel appears to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. Like, it's funny how the angels always have to say, don't be afraid when an angel appears. That's one of the clues that you know there was an angel, is that they say, don't be afraid. And angels don't allow people to worship them because they're they're not God. Um, but we think of angels as this, like, glow with the soft, flowing face. It's like the epitome of human beauty. But if every angel says, don't be afraid, there must be so much more to that. Um, what do you think the angel actually looks like for us to, for them to always have to tell us to not be afraid? Just think about that for a second. Just another, just an awesome thing. And then he said they should call his name Emmanuel. I brought this up last time. I never, at least I think I brought this up last time. Um, they say they should call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And maybe they've said it. I don't see it trans. I have never seen Emmanuel, and I'm calling Jesus Emmanuel, translated in my Bible in the New Testament. So I'm hoping that maybe our translations are wrong. Or maybe Emmanuel is less of a name and more of a statement. Um, because they have said, oh, now that I know God is here, now that I know God is with us. 
I know that you are the son of God, meaning you are God with us type of deal. Or they would say the son of man because that would refer back to Daniel, but that's a whole big thing. And then, yeah. And another side thought that I had, another question I had back here is, you know, people, you know, they say, and they called his name Jesus. And then there's been a huge debate that I've gone through is whether we should call him Jesus or Yeshua or Emmanuel. And then how the enemies try to replace Yeshua, which would have been typically what the Jewish name Jesus would have been given was, which would have been translated in English as Joshua. But Jesus is translated as Jesus. Jesus is Yeshua in Greek, basically. Jesus in Greek, and then we translated Jesus into Jesus in English, and so that we're actually calling Jesus by the wrong name. Um, do you think that matters? Do you think that there's more power in calling him Yeshua versus Jesus? Do you think that there's more power in calling him Emmanuel versus all of this? Like, what what are your thoughts? What do you think about that? Do you think it matters? And if it does, why? Why do you think it does matter? And if it doesn't matter, why do you think it doesn't matter? I am just so grateful that God does look at the heart of a man. And that he has adopted me into his family. So if you want to think about something throughout the day, maybe that's something throughout the day, just think, like, with everything that's been going on in your in your life, and everything that's gone to this point, everything that's happened in your family's past, my, I'm a millennial, my generation, we've gone through and looked through a lot of our trauma, and we understand a lot of the trauma that we've had. That does not mean that we have gotten past it. So the question I have is, how can we get ourselves adopted into God's family and start using God's ways to get past some of this trauma that we have blocked ourselves on? How can we face the things that we fear to become who God has called us to be and to be his brethren, to be like Jesus, to follow after him, to be his disciples. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you've done for us. Thank you so much for coming to earth to dwell among us, to be a part of us, to show us that even with trauma, even with the history of our past, that you can be there in the midst of it and you can still do something amazing for us today. Thank you for giving us a chance, for giving us a chance to make your name great in spite of all the things that are wrong with us. Thank you for allowing the kingdom of God to be in our lives today. May we think 
about and dwell about who you are and may it change our actions to where we can be a good representation of you. And then people can say to us that the Lord, that you are with us because of what they see us do. And we can then point that back to you. In your name, amen. As always, um, thanks a bunch for joining. Uh, We are using the World English Bible um, American uh, Translation, U.S. American Translation. Uh, You can find that on thebibleapp.com. You can can go to thebibleapp.com or it is not Bible app. You can go on to thebible.com and then or you can download the Bible app from Life Church. If you want, you know, friend me on there, um, Nicholas Hodge. You can search for me on the Bible app. And I would love to be a part of that. It's completely free, so you don't have to pay for anything for there. And um, if you have any questions, please feel free to, to send them my way. I'd love to be able to, for us to dialogue and connect more on making sure that we are able to show God's love to everyone around us in that letting the word flow over us and change our lives. Well, thank you so much. And uh, thank you for coming to breakfast.